Welcome to another emergency edition. I don't know if we can call these emergency editions. A playoff podcast. We, we're not promising we'll do these every morning, but John and I, this is JJ Cooper, John Manuel, we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about the playoffs every morning anyway. So we put a mic here to do it. And and John, the reason I wanted to do the intro today is because I wanted to ask you. I mean, as you watch this, this is we've seen this before. We've seen this before with Madison Bumgarner many a time, but. As you watched that last night, especially a night where really the stories of the night is Madison Bumgarner and Connor Gillespie. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it, it was it was perfect in many ways. But you've been a Madison Bumgarner believer for a very, very, very long time. Back when you were a Bumgarner believer when he was getting uh, swings and misses with an 88 to 90 mile an hour fastball. When his velo backed up in, uh, was it double A, if I remember right? Yeah, double A. Uh, 2009, I think it was. You know, only, you know, 2009, you know, two years after he got drafted. You know, you got, you get these high school pitchers sometimes, and I'm not knocking this, but there's some organizations, the Rays are among them. Like, I talk about Blake Snell, or as Josh Norris calls him, Snake Blell. <laughs> I like that nickname. But like Blake Snell and the way the, the Rays always do it, and they're pretty good at developing pitching. I'll draft a high school guy and send him to the GCL or the Appy League. And the next year, he might go Appy League or short New York Penn League. Then in their third pro season, they'll go to full season ball. Here Bumgarner was in his second pro season. He'd already, in his first pro season, he'd already told the Giants and Dick Tidrow, you know, the ninja himself, the guy who, you know, was pretty good at this whole drafted pitchers thing. Uh, hey, I'm going to do it my way or you can trade me. You know, three, three starts, four starts in in the uh, Saturday League. Yeah. And the rest of the year, so he got the bad start and wound up like 140 innings and a 146 ERA. Oh, it was insane. In low A, something crazy like that. So nobody else in the game pitches like Madison. Nobody has that front arm and that sweep of the back arm. It's a pretty long arm action, but he repeats it. He has a little oh, deception to it. Strong. He's stronger than strong. So, like, why everybody else, why other pitchers aren't going in the offseason? Like, I, I need to go milk some cows or chop some wood or something. You know, I would follow what that guy does. Because every October the Giants are in, I mean, there's just no greater weapon in baseball right now in the postseason than Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. And there hasn't been one for six years now. This ain't new. He did it as a 20-year-old rookie. So, it's, it really is impressive to see... Um, just because it's not like JJ, he wasn't even stuff wise. He wasn't close to the best guy on the mound last night. No, because Noah Syndergaard is ridiculous. That that was I, the thing. It's funny as as we got. I think it was the eighth inning when Bumgarner kept tossing up curveball after curveball. Which I mean, okay, again, neither of us is scouts, but right. John, you're relatively educated eye on this. Yeah, grade that curveball. You know, last night his curveball was better than I usually see it, but it was still like an average curveball. I mean, for me, you're great. I, I think it played up, though, JJ, because they, they it, were not looking for it. It played up because they were not looking for so, it. So a left-handed heavy Mets lineup, in general, you know, their better hitters are lefty guys. And let's face it, it looks like Jonas Cespedes just wasn't physically at his best. Both at the plate, he looked like he wasn't, didn't have his legs under him. And in left field, he didn't have his legs under him. He just, I mean, I know that there's... Uh, questions about his effort level defensively, all that kind of stuff. But this was the big stage, and we've seen Cespedes on the big stage before, and he's been better than it was last night. So he had to kind of – he wasn't having to carry the offense, but he was the guy the Mets were going to rely on the most against a lefty like Bumgarner, and Bumgarner had him flummox on off-speed stuff. But that's not, not usually – off-speed and then elevated fastballs above it. the zone. So he was changing guys' eye levels, very old school. And, and that's it. Bumgarner, 
is, I mean, old school's overused. It's cliche. That was a traditional pre-everyone-throws-95 pitching performance last night. It was fastball command, angle, life, location on the fastball, coupled with the ability to locate the breaking ball. It's not a snapdragon. It's not a low 90s slide piece, just bastard of a pitch like Syndergaard throws. You know, the same pitch that guys, he threw 2% of the time last year, 21% this year, where like, it does make me feel a slightly better that people in the Florida State League told me, his breaking ball's fringy, I don't know. <laughs> Let's, uh, one digression, I'll, I'll finish it with Bumgarner, then we'll, we'll get back. <laughs> I want to digress too early. But, um, but Bumgarner's curveball, he located it so well last night. I think he fooled the home plate umpire a couple times. I oh, forget who it is. Oh, Mike so Winters. Mike Winters. But, but yes. Unfortunately, I'm, yeah, you this know is a bad un- sign. The, yeah. the, the bad sign here is that you say, who was it? And I'm like, oh, it was Mike Winters. Ideally, we're talking about today. It's like, who was the home plate umpire? I have no idea. Exactly. No, no last night, we have an idea. Unfortunate. I agree. But but yes, it's not a Barry Zito classic curveball or a Ben Sheets or like one of these just 12-6 Snapdragons. It was more of the surprise curveball that you're locating in the zone that guys aren't swinging at. Well, because usually he relies on that mm-hmm. slider slash cutter. You know, mm-hmm. I guess he calls it a cutter. I think it's a little mm-hmm. bit more of a slider, but... Um, but you know who's quibbling? We'll, yeah, I mean, we'll, that's, we'll all raise... on, that's all on that same. Yeah, it's, it's on the it's, same it's continuum. On, it's on a continuum where you go. You know, I mean, Noah Syndergaard almost is the same way. In some ways, it's like my old story on that is uh, is Mel Queen, the late Mel Queen. Uh, <laughs> um, Mel Queen, my first draft, my first prospect handbook, the, the first prospect handbook. I'm doing uh, Blue Jays calls, and I talked to somebody. I was saying something to Mel Queen about it. Is that a cutter or a slider? I think I asked him about it two times. And, the second time he was like, what the hell are you asking me that for? They're the same pitch. And just like went on this rant of like, who is and this guy I'm talking to? I've awesome. talked to scouts and pitching coaches who are like, the worst thing that can happen to your cutter mm-hmm. is if you try to throw it like a slider. Right. The no. cutter is thrown with a fast, it's a fastball thrown with a different grip, whereas a slider, you break off. It's, so, it, and, that's the th- and that's it. I mean, it's just, people have very strong opinions about these things and there's they're not fact. So... Fact, how well, however, you grayed out Bumgarner's curveball last night. It was an incredibly effective it was pitch. An effective pitch. Element of surprise and the location. But I just think the other part of it is the separation of you don't define a number one starter by his ERA plus, his walk rate, strikeout rate. Those are components of the profile of a number one starter. But that's not all of it. The other part of it is. The ability to make a pitch when you got to make a pitch. And both guys last night, Syndergaard and Bumgarner, showed the ability to make well, a pitch when they needed to. And that's why it was such a pleasure of a game to watch for the, me. The funny thing about it is, is when you say, you know, that's defined as number one starter, this is too simplistic. But I was working up this stat last night because you talked about it in the last six years. From 2012, I think it was 12, I look back to 12 or 13. It may have been 13, but I think it was 12. From then to present in the playoffs, there have been five complete game shutouts. Three of which have been thrown by Madison Bumgarner, which Unreal. is the definition, I mean, in many ways, the definition of your number one ace. The guy, because again, he throws shutouts, and then it's like, Skip, yep. this is my game on in relief. You know, I'm going to win you another World Series, as he did in 14. You know, you have that, and the, but the thing about it is, is those shutouts, so you have three by Bumgarner, one by Verlander, if I remember right, and one by Arietta. Hmm. Number one, number one, 
number one at their best. Those were all like, yeah. Like the funny thing is, is like, and again, this and, is very and simplistic. And but consistency, I guess, is the other separator there, and that's where Verlander and Bumgarner, even in that small discussion, have separated themselves, even from Arietta, who's right. really good this year, but, but he's not. No, he's, he's he's not done it. And the funny thing with that is, is that, and this is again too simplistic. I almost tweeted this last night, and I was like, no, 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 you can't explain it in 140 characters. But I'm not a Jack Morris in the Hall of Fame guy. That's, no, I'm, I'm not. That's not who I me am. Me neither. That being said, beyond longevity, which is an important part of a Hall of Fame case, if your case for Jack Morris is is that he's a gamer, he's a winner, 1991, the outing he right. had. Madison Bumgarner has 100 wins at this point in his, uh, in his professional career. But when you come to the gamer, winner, World Series, you know, biggest stage, all that, who has a better case in the last 30 years, 40 years, than Madison Bumgarner when it comes to that? I don't think he, Nobody. The again, only person approaching it, I guess you'd say, would be Smoltz was a great big game pitcher for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Andy Pettit wasn't a great big game pitcher, but he was a durable, very good big game pitcher for championship teams from 96 with the Yankees to 2004 with the, uh, or five with the Astros. He did it for a long time, so I, I would... And I, would say, and I would say you could throw in the, the Schilling, Tar- Kurt Schilling's career. Schilling and Schilling, two others, yes. Schilling, Schilling's case yes. for a Hall of Fame is somewhat based on basically what he's done in the playoffs. Yeah. That you, If you take the playoffs out of it, he really doesn't have a case. Uh, Schilling, the Schilling is the guy. From 93 to 04, basically, you're talking about Schilling. Even a little bit in 2007. I mean, you're, okay yeah, you're not just talking bloody sock. You're right. also talking the year that him and Randy Johnson have said, Okay, our closer, pretty much any time we put our closer in this series, yeah. we lose. No, 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 we're going to stop doing that. And Connor Gillespie, let's, I, I do want to wrap on the Giants yeah. and talk, touch briefly on the Mets and then what's left in the playoffs because there's a lot. <laughs> um, but Connor Gillespie, I mean, is an amazing story in a way. As you pointed out last night, JJ, this guy, well, he's been sold or released twice. I mean, he's part of the 2008, like John, so Madison Bumgarner was the last year that Dick Tidrow ran scouting and player development. Completely like a, uh, for the for the Giants, so pretty good that Jack Dick Tidra drafted Matt Kane in 2002, Lincecum 06, Bumgarner 07. That's that, that, yeah, that that'll, that'll, do. that'll do. That'll do. John Barr takes over in 2008, and I I've told him multiple times you're never gonna have a better draft than your first one running for the Giants. Posey Crawford and they were spare pieces, but two championship up the middle pieces like that. I mean, gold glove, silver slugger guys at their positions. I mean, Brandon Crawford has developed so far beyond offensively than anyone thought. I find it funny because if you said when we talk about guys you miss on, I miss on Giants. I do our Giants list. I'm doing our Giants 30 this year. And I miss on Giants more than anyone because I, Madison Bumgarner, I was wrong. And I've told this on the podcast before. But my concern was I know. Self-destruction got you again, huh? But I know that. I know that his fastball gets swings and misses, but at the time when he was in Double A, it's like, so you're telling me a guy who, okay, he commands his fastball, but it was velocity-wise. If you say it plays up, at that point it played up to an average fastball when it bounced back. And his secondary stuff, I was concerned about. It was fringy at that time, and if not below. I was wrong. Yeah. And then Brandon I, I would Crawford. I actually said that even at his even at eighty eight. His fastball was playing plus. The results are the results. Right. He was getting double. He was dominating double A hitters with an 88 mile an hour fastball. And that and is, some nights nothing else. And that pretended 
of how he would be able to how his fastball would play at the big league level. But them and then Brandon Crawford, yeah. who I was pretty convinced would be a good defender with a little bit of, but I didn't think he was going to hit. Absolutely. I mean, in the minor leagues, this guy struck out a hundred times and walked twenty times in Double uh, A in two thousand nine. He hit 258, 294, 365. What's your what's your MLE on that one? <laughs> you know, I would like to know what his major league equivalency was. And the next year, in high A and double A, 236, 332, 366. Now, the selectivity got better. But in the minor leagues, this guy hit how many home runs? He hit 21 home runs and 988 at-bats in the minor leagues. I mean, we're not talking... Uh, but if this is what happens with shortstops sometimes. It does. Is that and catchers, shortstops and catchers, what happens sometimes is is that a guy is a valuable enough defender to play. This is what the, this is what scouts talk about survival tools. You have the defense or speed, and for Brandon Crawford, it was catching the ball, making the routine play, and then being able to make the above average play because he's got a hose. He's always had a great arm. Always love the story of Matt Blood, former employee here now at 18U team for USA Baseball. For Which is Cardinal rolling Scout. in the 18U. They are. Right but Matt, um, when Matt had uh, for an internship with the Giants and Salem Kaiser and talking about they had to have a partner to long toss with Brendan Crawford. Or I'll always go back to the other Brendan Crawford story playing for NorCal Baseball on an infield with James Darnell, uh, Brett Wallace, and there's one other future big leaguer on that team. I think it was David Cooper, who was uh, their first baseman. Wallace was the third with those thighs. And James Darnell. But the best guy was the guy who hit the least on that group, which was Crawford. He was the star of that NorCal travel ball team like in 05, 04. So this guy's been on the map for a long time. So you, but you go back and talk to guys who saw him for that NorCal team in 03, 04, 05, that program, UCLA. No one saw a plus bat. Down the line for Brandon Crawford, Brandon Crawford, and that's what he is. He has, a, you know, he's a league average or better offensive player, combined with Gold Glove shortstop. That's just special. And Connor Gillespie was supposed to be the guy who was the plus hit, fringy forty-five-ish defense at third base. And instead, all that guy's have been able to do in his career is just grind and just survive on the bat and the selectivity. JJ. The defense still isn't pretty, and he's never earned a real. A, he's been a second division regular at best. At best, bad, bad White Sox team a year or two ago, where he got 400 plate appearances. So to see him, he's really a that, backup. He's really he is, and he is a backup. Yeah. Eduardo Nunez is hurt. He's the backup. He's, but he's the backup. That's so what he is. He um, he took over this year when Matt Duffy got hurt. Became the third baseman. They traded Matt Duffy. Brought in Nunez. Nunez gets hurt here. He gets to play again. But that swing last night was pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Juris Familia made a mistake, but he had to be able to take advantage of it. Took advantage of it with authority. I love the tweet from his younger brother, who was a first-round pick yep, of the Rays uh, two years ago, um, talking about knowing his brother's career and how much he grinded. And the, uh, he earned that celebration, that primal scream Which, around the first way, base last night. And then by the time the game was over, you know, I was watching the post game. Oh, his interview like, was awesome with Buster uh, Olney. Right. Him and Madison Bumgarner both could not have been more low-key about. <laughs> Having just won a very taut, you know, zero zero game, you know, to to the end. You're asking me all these hard questions. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, Bum, Bum Garner is just, you know, my first job out of high school was in uh, Hickory, North Carolina, at the newspaper out there, out of high school, out of college. I didn't come out of high school. He did. Um, but my first job was in Hickory, North Carolina, my, and I couldn't find a place to live in Hickory. I lived in Hudson. That's where Bum Garner's from. And this was right after NAFTA. 
I mean, late 94, early 95, when I lived there. And I was like three blocks away from the Broyhill furniture plant that closed down. You know, it was empty. That was a depressing as hell place to live at that time. I enjoyed my time out there. But that was tough because you just saw a lot of people who didn't know what the hell they were going to do. The textile industry and the furniture industry is what sustained that area. And it, was, and it was going into the tank. And uh, that is was so chronicled so well by Tom Verducci in that Sports of the Year story a couple of years ago about the toughness in that area that Bumgarner comes from. But getting to see that firsthand, having lived in Hudson where he grew up, and uh, seeing what he's become now, seeing him in high school. I tweeted a link to it last night if you want to go on at John Manuel BA and uh, the Oscar game where Patrick Johnson, 2015 in, in, uh, Independent League, League Player of the Year, no, no, right? No, oh, no. number one prospect? He was on the pro- on the prospect list. He okay. was second in Player of the Year voting. I ended up, I picked okay. Joe Maloney over him. But ah, he was right okay. there. And was in A this year. Well, PJ hit the home run off him and then went to North Carolina and Bumgarner obviously did not, as I tweeted this morning, the way that uh, area scout around here told me is the only way Bumgarner is going to, close to Chapel Hills on the way to RDU Airport. And... Uh, um, so to see his development of his career is awesome uh, to see it uh, up close and personal and not even as up close and personal as I feel like I could have seen it. And let's give kudos to Alan Matthews, who was our high school writer at that time, was all over Bumgarner early. And the comps that I cite in that story were from uh, Alan, uh, John Smiley comp, and I already forgot the other one. Oh, Chuck Finley. Chuck Finley and, uh, and John Smiley were the two comps. But then in that story, as a scout told me that night, was, you know, I don't want to say Randy Johnson, but it is kind of Randy Johnson, and that's the other kind of comment. And I like that from the standpoint of is what that is is is, is on the mount orneriness. Yeah, yeah, the low slot and the orneriness, I think, are the two things. But uh, I do want to touch on Cindergard real quick, JJ, because what a scouting success story, and what a I mean, it's what a amazing development by him. Not to mention the Mets, but just by him, uh, he's just gotten so good. And he has that extra little bit, that intangible uh, of being a true number one starter. All right, I can't, I can't like him enough. No, I agree. That was as 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 impressive. I think I tweeted last night. It was very different than Kerry Wood because it was more pure power, which sounds crazy. But I thought of that '98, you know, the 20 strikeout Kerry Wood game, which is always kind of a, a benchmark game for me as a. That's the best game I've ever seen. A pitcher in complete control. Last night, it the thing I knew his, was his breaking ball wasn't as effective. No, I would say, but, he, but his fastball was more effective. Probably, yeah. It was <clears> the <throat> ridiculous fastball. And but really, what came back to that was is I knew he wasn't going to throw a complete game no hit shutout, just because he probably wasn't going to get there. Right. And that was the only really that was it. <clears throat> if you were looking for a knock on that game, the only knock you can give is. He was matched up against Madison Bumgarner, and because he was a, as dominating but a little bit less pitch efficient, he was done at a time that he had to hand the game off to Addison Reed and Juris Familia, and Madison Bumgarner being Madison Bumgarner was like, no, I'm, I think I tweeted last night, I was like, how, <clears throat> how long do you think that Madison Bumgarner is going to go here? And I think you know the people were right, which pretty much was 
the an- one of the answers was as long as is needed to win this game. Yeah, he wouldn't have uh, been taken out. <clears throat> he wouldn't have come out even if Zach Britton had been in the uh, in the in the Giants bullpen. I mean, he just but he especially wasn't when out. it's Sergio Romo, nothing against Sergio Romo, but yes, you are. It's Bumgarner's game. You are let and he's the the the, the biggest. I don't want to keep turning this back to the Giants, but the biggest thing you can say from Madison Bumgarner. Who else would you say that about now? Very few, and that's the thing. As you hear people talk about. Um, well, you know, uh, you want to work his pitch count, get his pitch count up, get him out of the game. For most teams, that's actually not what you want to do anymore because the bullpens are usually better than the starting pitchers. I mean, let's face it, there are very few pitchers. Last night's AL wildcard pitchers. game was just a matter of are you going to get five or six, basically, out Correct. of these guys. Correct. Yeah, that's and right. And seven is the most. And Chris I mean, Tillman is, the, is basically the best starter that the Orioles have. He has consistently been that over the last three years. You could argue whether he's better this year. At his best, his best is not as good as Kevin Gossman's best, but he does it. He's consistently better than Kevin Gossman. And for the uh, Marcus Stroman's up and down, but he's one of the best guys at the stuff-wise. He's probably the second best guy that the Blue Jays have. The best guy the Blue Jays have is Aaron Sanchez, who was drafted in the same draft class as Noah Syndergaard. I'm not going to let you steer me away from this 2010 no, no, that, Blue Jays that, that draft class. That 2010 Blue Jays draft class is insane. <clears throat> and they blew their first round pick, and it doesn't matter. They blew it. 11th overall, Deck McGuire. Uh, no thanks. Not a good career. The less of the better. Fourth, fourth and fifth and De- sixth. Deck McGuire, his, uh, his best career, his career basically was pre-draft. Right. His stuff uh, is never, never as good as... Like Asher Wojciechowski, big league fringy. Griffin Murphy, Kellen Sweeney never quite worked out. Justin Nicolino's been to the big leagues. But the, but this draft class, second pick, 34th overall, Aaron Sanchez. And third pick, 38th overall, Noah Syndergaard. Those are two of the best supplemental first-round picks I can remember, JJ. Those two guys are on the short list of the top five stuff guys in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pure stuff. Fastball, uh, starting pitchers' fastballs, they're on the short list of guys you never, you just don't want to see mm-hmm. unless you're a fan and you want to see a fastball and you want to grab some popcorn. Syndergaard and Sanchez, and they were back-to-back picks by the Blue Jays, which I believe Andrew Tennis was running this, the draft yep. at that time. I talked briefly with Billy Gasparino, now the Dodgers scouting director. He was a national guy. Uh, in 2010 for the Blue Jays, and he talked about, like, he just briefly said, yeah, yeah. like, we knew, like, I, uh, I forget the guy's first name, the check and old handbook, Miller is the first name of the area scout, now a cross-checker, who was the man on Noah Syndergaard, um, and that's really going to be an epic trade of, you traded a young power arm like Syndergaard, plus Travis Darno, conspicuous in his absence last night for the Mets, but he just is a bad defensive catcher now. And um, not, not that, not not that Rene Rivera wrapped himself in the uh, realm of being a, uh, an outstanding... Although he did... Uh, Steve, Miller, be, but, Steve Miller, who was a, a, apparently a scout, not a, not a joker or a token. But, but let's also say, though, in Rene Rivera's defense last night, and his, his biggest trouble became with Addison Reed and Drew Familia catching them, which not yeah. fun to catch either, no. but catching Noah Syndergaard is not an easy task. It is not so. for the faint of heart. And uh, But but Syndergaard and Darno for R.A. Dickey, I thought that trade is not talked about enough. I mean, I love It's not it. Josh Donaldson, but it's not... Uh, it's close. They, I love they, that, the Josh Donaldson basically is the penance for that trade. I guess so. I guess that's what it is. Um, but so, and then the 2011 draft, uh, the very next year for the Blue Jays, again, was a year where their first pick went by the boards. They didn't sign uh, Tyler Beattie. But they got Joe Musgrove in that draft. 
They got Daniel Norris in that draft. They got Anthony DiScofani in that draft. I mean, those two years, the Blue Jays, that's when they muscled up in terms of, like, really taking their scouting department and, like, doubling the size of it. Uh, 2010, they also got Sam Dyson. They also got Sean Nolan, who's been in the big leagues. They also got Dalton Pompey. That was... They were on a roll those two years. Those two drafts are great, and they really are. And again, that was when they said, hey, we're going to really just go crazy on scouting. It was the old draft system without caps. And, you know, we've been trying to poke around doing these draft report cards on the next CBA, any changes for uh, the future drafts. The only rumor both of us have stumbled upon is maybe the return of the draft and follow. Not sure how they might do that because you do I, have a I, signing deadline. And I don't think that's – again, I know that they're at least talk. I don't think it will happen just because – it, it, it seems fairly insignificant. But also it seems like it would – unlikely to happen because it creates more hassle than maybe it's worth from the standpoint. Really what you have right now – and I probably should write this when I have you know free time, which is – you know I've, I've carved Precious. that up some. Yeah. You know, but – you do have right now, if you want to say what is the difference, look at how many guys, how many players teams sign, and when you look at how many of their draft picks that they sign, the difference right now between a team that has three rookie and short season clubs and the teams that have two rookie and short season clubs, there's a difference there. Understandably, right. you're talking about maybe the difference of signing eight to ten guys in your draft. Well, right. Oh, and, and, and I've spoken about that with the, with the clubs. A couple clubs this fall doing draft report cards where they draft a bunch of guys. And, when you, you know, teams that they draft too many pitchers, the Cubs are one this year. They only signed six position players. So they, frankly, did not have enough affiliates to put them all. They kind of needed a Pioneer League team this year. And they're talking about it. And there are other clubs that are saying, like, you know, uh, you see it in the Gulf Coast League. You see the DSL, the GCL Yankees one, and the GCL Yankees two. And you're and you're see. I think you're going to see more of that, JJ. I do. And, I think you well, could, you could see some expansion in the lower minors. And here's why, because again, I'm doing. I just finished doing the indie top 10, 20, 35, 35. 35. 35. Um, I could go forty, um, but uh, <laughs> but I'm doing that. And what jumps out is is that. We talk about the velocity in the game. There's so much velocity in the game. If you draft, and if you sign an extra eight guys, and you there's arms out there to draft, right? And you and two of those guys end up being, you know, I'm not even talking regular relievers. I'm talking the the 14th guy who sits in AAA. He comes up. He gives you 20 innings. He goes back down. He's not your. He's your fifth guy out of the pen. Right. But he's fifth guy out of the pen, or he's your seventh guy. You know, like when he. But when he comes up, he's a fifth guy out of the pen, and you pay him five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right. There's that, and you didn't pay a there big bonus to. There's that. value in that, and there's you cannot. There are so many guys who throw hard that we watched Joe B and Genie, the uh, Rule Five pick, who was a. Average across the board guy as a starter. Yeah, if maybe they, maybe an above average fastball, but not the kind of life that you see on it now. I don't on a consistent basis, and he didn't. He couldn't really use it as well as he does out of the bullpen. As a starter, it was a good pitch, but it wasn't a really good pitch. It was and, maybe an average to a tick above, but now it's a plus. And again, the thing about it is, is all these guys, especially guys you sign and you send out as a starter to rookie ball or short season. We we're talking about Zach Britton. Zach Britton, we wrote about when he was in the minors, we wrote this is the best 
sinker in the minors. It's and, bar and we, none. And we could not find a lefty sinker baller to compare him to. Because I remember asking, and I remember the answer I got. <laughs> Do you remember this? The answer I got was Zane Smith, lefty sinker baller. You had, I mean, that's and what you're going You're literally like, going back 20 years. Though. I remember thinking, what? Like, I did a story Zane, on I, I, I saw Zane Smith pitch in person because... I, I saw him in a rehab start for the Carolina Mudcats, either the first, second, or third year of the Mudcats when they were a Pirates affiliate. Mm-hmm. And he was rehabbing in double-A with the Mudcats. I remember interviewing him while I was at the Daily Tar Heel uh, in, in college and uh, and being like, wow, he's not a very big guy. And, man, his mullet is strong. But the point being, Zach Britton, as a starter, was not very good. No, I, I always wondered, like, I always thought that maybe he got moved out of that spot a little early. But, but, but man, you he, see, he had some track record of not being good enough as a starter. And you do starter. see, what you see, though, is, is that, and maybe he should have just said, you know what, no, I'm just going to throw this sinker 95% of the time right. as a starter. But he didn't do that, really. Right. And so he goes to the pen, and then it's like... Now I can throw this pit one I one literally pit. throw everything else away. I'm just going to throw this sinker. And if you haven't seen it, read JJ's story about uh, Britain, because the best part about it is... Just showing how this guy's just on a total island. He's a total outlier. While there are trends of extremes with ground ball pitchers in Major League Baseball, this guy is such an outlier. It really does speak to how uh, he actually is unique and he um, but, and, and what a weapon he really is. But so the point of this being though is, is that yeah, I agree that more teams. This is where the draft and follow comes from. Is is that if you're a team that doesn't have these three short season rookie ball teams. Yeah. You want a way to try to in some ways compete with these other teams who do. Yep. And I do think and I think this is part of the reason why you're gonna see it not happen, is if I'm a team that has three short season rookie ball fillers, why do I want to again, it's it's not a perfect analogy because yeah, you can sign more guys, but you're you're you can sign more guys because then you hope that you can send them to A ball, basically yeah. some of these guys or whatever. But you're still not going to be able to match the same as a team that has an extra club. And nowadays, I would say different than 15 years ago is you're going to find probably, if you find two more relievers out of that, Right, is that that's really, the value. That is the value. Now, let's wrap up with a couple of uh, tweets. We had Matthew Wines wants to know, Hunter Renfro, 2017 Rookie of the Year? I'm going to say no. I love Hunter. And I was going to say, if John Manuel says no, then the answer is no. I'm going to say no. I still think there's some rawness to his hitting ability. More home runs than, than walks this year. Not a great sign. Roger Munter, longtime Giants emailer and uh, tweeter. Don't forget to note, in Mad Bum's Sally League year, he allowed 10 earned runs in his first three starts. 13 earned runs over the next 22, including a playoff shutout. That's what we talked about. That's what we're talking about. I'm going to do it my way. And if you don't want it that way, trade me. Which, by the way, if he, was at a time, he was saying this at a time when he was a teenager. And when he was so recently drafted that when he said that, the answer could have been back is, we can't trade you yeah, exactly. yet. We haven't had you for a year. That's right. It could have been known as the Madison Bumgarner rule. Yeah. Um, but also that said, if you're going to do that, like Mike Montgomery did it to the Royals, you better back it up. And Bumgarner has to an extent that is legendary. Um, not literally legendary. The counselor, uh, James Decker, asks, uh, tweets, I assume no more trout to low A team trade <laughs> ideas. And we'd like to hear you about uh, talk about Bum- Mad Bum's historic nature. He brings out M- Christy Matheson-esque, another giant, Big Six, one of my all-time fa- favorite nicknames, Big Six. Um, I mean, JJ, again, like, I, I, I don't, just for me, 
it doesn't make sense to compare someone to a guy a hundred years ago when all the players were white and they rode trains. That's just it is baseball, but it really isn't a useful comparison in the era where he had to pitch in a pinch. He wrote that book, mm-hmm. pitching in a pinch, like, hey, there are three hitters at every lineup I gotta really worry about. That's just, you know, not today's baseball. So who are his modern antecedents? We kinda ran through that before, but I guess Bob Gibson's another Modern antecedent, you know, I don't remember. No, again, because what you're really, the one thing with this is is that as good as Bumgarner is, when you talk about, if you take the playoffs out of it, Madison Bumgarner is in the discussion of the best pitchers in baseball. But he's not the best. But he's never been in the discussion as the best pitcher in baseball. Right. It becomes the playoffs. His average year is 16-11-299. Which is very good. Which is really good with 8.9 strikeouts and 2.1 walks. It's all very good. But it's not something where, again, there's never been the year where you say, well, slam dunk. I mean, to put it in a, a comparison to a right. guy, Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke is not nearly as consistent as Madison Bumgarner. But when it all comes together in the regular season for Zach Greinke, Zach Greinke at his best in the regular season has had better years than Madison Bumgarner. I think you'd rather hang out with Zach Greinke, but I'd rather have Madison Bumgarner every time. Uh, that's, that's but what it. I'm saying, though, is if you look, though, over the course of a season, I don't think you could argue that Bumgarner's best seasons match Granky's best seasons. Absolutely, but I'm still taking, I'm still taking no, the because, consistency. But that's what you're talking But That's what I'm saying. I'm not right. saying about oh, no, who would I, you take. I know. I am. Right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, taking the direct, I'm, I'm taking it to the next right. level. But the, here's the bigger question to me, because the natural comparison is him and Kershaw. That's a great way to wrap. I mean... Which career would you rather have? If you're a front office executive, would you rather have the guy who, year in and year out, is the best starter in baseball when he's healthy? The tr- the definition of a number one in the season. And yet in the postseason, he's had some of his lesser starts. Um, and I, you know, I'll be fascinated to watch what he does in the playoffs this year against the Nationals because uh, he's not facing the Cardinals. Or would you rather have Bumgarner, who in the regular season basically grades out like as a number two starter, but in the postseason, is the best starter of his era and one of the five best in baseball history. That, Who'd you rather have? I probably, you know what? At this point, I'd probably still say Kershaw because I do think that we are talking with Kershaw. I do. I, I basically, do you want Texas country or do you want North Carolina country? That's basically what we're asking here. You got Texas suburbs, sort of country, but it's Texas suburbs country. Versus backwoods. No, we're talking. If I need country. to kill a boar to sustain myself, I'll do it. And you know, there's the other level of Mississippi. like, did I'll you use? Did you use a weapon or did you hunt it down with your hands? He used the knife. He used the knife. He did use the knife. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we both went there. But uh, but yeah, so who do you have? Kershaw, Baumgartner. You're saying Kershaw. I'd say Kershaw, but we, the reality of it is, is I also do not think. I do not think that. This is just small sample size in the playoffs. Not I do, at this point. The sample keeps getting bigger. I do think that there is something to be said. For one, you have to have the opportunities. And Bumgarner's had the opportunities because he's on the Giants, and it's an even year. I mean, even years the Giants have opportunities. But the Gi- the Dodgers have been in the playoffs with Kershaw one, two, three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. Five different so times. Had, I know he, he was 20 one year. Right. And just out of their bullpen. So four but years I do as a think, starter. I mean... I don't. I do think that there again. This is a game played by humans. Yeah. And as mentally tough as Clayton Kershaw is, he comes into these playoff starts now with a little bit different thought process than Bumgarner. Bumgarner comes into it, and he expects to basically be 
the best guy in the on the in in the stadium. That's that right. Night. Whereas Kershaw, who is again well, the best guy on the planet at what he does, maybe saves Otani. But he comes out, and in some way, in the small, the back of his head, there has to be this thought of. What is it? Why is this not working for me the same way in the playoffs? Why am I two and six, four fifty nine career in now sixty five innings? The JJ? guy, the guy that I can't that I, that I think of with that is is, and it wasn't always bad, but Greg Roger, Maddox. I was gonna say Roger Clemens. Greg Maddox, who's a very different type pitcher, but Greg Maddox was for a good stretch there the best pitcher on the planet. Right. You know, because he proceeds, basically at some point he handed that crown to Pedro. He was always pretty good in the playoffs. He was never as good in the playoffs as he was in the regular season. Not nearly as To good. me it's Clemens, because Clemens, uh, the Texas thing, but also Clemens was the dominant power pitcher from like 86 to 90 in the major leagues. For that five-year span, and the Red Sox went to the playoffs three times. And I'm a Red Sox fan growing up, so I, that's why another reason why it's Clemens. But, you know, he got beat by Dave Stewart every year, too, like in the playoffs. And the A's uh, would the, hammer him in the playoffs. I, the, I mean, there was the one year I know, the one I will never forget was that I was at school because of the day game. And I remember someone. Oh, yeah, we had the eye black. And I remember someone coming out because didn't he, like, I mean, what, what inning was it that he got? Third or fourth inning he got thrown out against the A's. And it was like Roger Clemens just got ejected from the game. And I was yeah. like, I'm yeah, gonna he came out. He came out with the red ass. He came <laughs> out with the eye black. And he was, he was pissed at the home plate umpire. Before the game even started. I mean, and, you know, it took till he had a bad year with the Yankees to win a World Series with the Yankees. So, late career Clemens did become a better playoff performer. But early career Clemens with the Red Sox was and it. And it, it, it you know, here's the reality of I this. hope the same thing isn't true for Kershaw because of his, I want his greatness to be appreciated. But here's the reality of it. This is the way to wrap it up. Because I'll just wrap it up here for us because we do need to actually yes, put out an issue. We need to do work. But the thing with, the thing with this is, is that... Fair or unfair, it doesn't matter. Your career is partly judged. It's the David Ortiz, Edgar Martinez argument. That's the right. reality of it is, is that if you're a Mariner fan, you could argue that David Edgar Martinez is better than David Ortiz. But you know what? Overall, it's never gonna that argument's never gonna win overall because what it comes down to is, is that you can call it opportunity if you want. Some have more than others, but David Ortiz gets to his legacy, is wrapped in what the Red Sox have done in the last decade. Right. A decade plus. Yep. Madison Bumgarner's legacy, when we're talking about Madison Bumgarner 30 years from now, this is part, this is a very important part, because these games are more important. This is the signature. Important. This is where you start. These games are more important you play than to what win you did the game. June. You play to win the game. I mean, Herb Edwards was a crazy person. I get it. But the truer words were literally never spoken in, in sports. Thing. You play to win the game, and not just the game, the championship. And that's the thing is, is when you talk about, well, this is going to be random, it's the playoffs, you know, it doesn't... I don't care, because right. what it comes down to is, you can win 115 in the regular season, and that's great. You can win 88 in the regular season and sneak in. Yep. But the reality of it is, is your legacy as a player... As a manager, as a front office, is tied in significant way to what you do in the playoffs. And it should be. And it should be. And the thing about it is, is that what Bobby Cox did with the Braves and getting there year after year after year, absolutely impressive, extremely impressive. Yeah. But you know what? 
it is also fair to say you have that, you keep going year after year, and you won one. I mean, like, hey, the Yankees went year after year from 1995 through 2007. They went to the playoffs every year, and then through 2010, there's only that one year, eighth, mm-hmm. that they didn't go. And they won five championships in that span. And that's, a, and that's better that is than what so the Braves did. That is vastly better. It's not in the same conversation. And head-to-head the World Series, they beat them, what, twice? Three times? So it's, what the Braves did, great. The Yankees did better. Because, and, again, no one, this is not, the reality of it is is that when we get done with it, right. what you play for is to win it all. So to me, to this point, what Clayton Kershaw has done is great. But, but Madison, I, I would think not what Madison Bumgarner has done is a little bit better because he does it more when it counts. And oh. and and you know we we keep hearing a lot of talk of broad shoulders right now in political season. No one's shoulders are broader than Again, Madison Bumgarner's, what, literally and figuratively. What he did like. in fourteen is as impressive as anything I've seen in the playoffs yeah. in my lifetime. And. Last what he did last night seems like he's trying to start right. another one. The great one like thing that. for him now is is that if he goes out and in, he's going to pitch game three, now good luck against sh- the Cubs. And if he gets shelled in game three, it is like man, that, what that says is is not man, Madison Bummer. It is wow, these Cubs are really good. That's exactly Cause, right. Because you can't because you at this point Madison Bumgarner has done enough that there is no part of wow, Madison Bumgarner didn't show up tonight. No, he he's shows, Madison Bumgarner. He shows up every night. So if the Cubs beat him, it's going to be. Uh, definitely part of this is the way it should be for the Cubs. That you want to end a hundred and some years of drought, go through Madison Bumgarner. So it'll be fun to see if they can. We'll be here to talk about it. Uh, Kyle Glazer came in during a break and said, "Can I please be on one of these podcasts?" <laughs> so, uh, that's why we hired Kyle Glazer. So for JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. <laughs>